This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina, and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music, and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie, and Wrightsville, and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. Cool. Um, I'm just going to recording. So, we're set. Anybody All right. Okay. Woo! Well, so this is a real Draftsman podcast it back sure is. in the real studio with, with us in person. Okay. Uh, it's my job to. Are we going to play the intro theme song? Oh, yeah. Lo, do, 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 lo, do, 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 This is Draftsman Show. Yeah. Is that what it says? It's the Draftsman Show. Yes. You, you forgot? Didn't know what your own I never said? knew that's what it was saying. Wait, wait, what? I never knew it was the <laughs> Draftsman really Show. You didn't know the name of our podcast. I, really I knew want... that it was the name of our podcast. I didn't know that's what it was singing. I really want to know show. what you thought it was saying. Show. Wait, what? Yeah, what did you think? I... <laughs> wow. Uh, I just thought it was kind of scat singing. Season I didn't know. Three. Hi, Stan. How are you what doing up, today? Marshall? Welcome back. To We're the back in the studio. This is the <laughs> real thing. It's still here. It's been here this whole time. Oh. Waiting yeah. for, you. for you. Wow. I feel so happy. <laughs> this is so comfortable. It's... It really has just been here. It hasn't moved. Yeah. It's weird. Oh, well, it's just great to be back in the studio. And mm -hmm. what do you want to do today? Well, we're going to talk about... That little book right there. Oh, this your, book, The Talent <laughs> Code. Yes. <laughs> what are we doing today? I forgot. Yeah. The Talent Code by Do Doyle's. Daniel. Daniel Doyle? Coyle. Coyle. Daniel <laughs> Combine Coyle. his first name and last name. Yeah, Daniel Coyle. C-O-Y-L-A. Okay. Yeah. And why? It, when I read it uh, many years ago, I, it stuck with me. There's a lot of stuff in there that I really liked. Well, you recommended that I read this in 2015, and I read it in January. Was, of that, was it that? Yeah, it was long January ago? 2015, and I really liked it then. Mm -hmm. But I liked it more on this. I had a, I had a criticism, but but I liked it more on the second round, and I have been really immersed in this book. Good, and so I'm just eager to sit down and have this conversation with you. Mm. Eager is my father. Oh, no, I thought it was Igor. Igor. Is it Igor? Igor. <laughs> okay. Dan, you right. made this joke like... already. I know. Yeah. I, I make that joke every time someone says, says the word Igor. Igor, yeah. So just don't say that word. <laughs> yeah, don't say that word. Okay. Also, don't say necessary. <laughs> Why would I not say necessary? Um, I'll quote Dodgeball. Necessary? Is it necessary for me to drink my own urine? Probably not. No. But I do it anyway because it's sterile and I like the taste. Okay. Okay. <laughs> well, let's see. This is the this is the third self help book that we have reviewed. No, it's been... Well, let's see. There was there was art and fear. 
Yes. Which was, was about right after that, but also about the war of war art. Of art. I mean, I did a small book review of, um, God. Yeah, but we're talking about books that Full. we read together, though, right? Oh, together. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, but go ahead. You did a small book on the on the uh, the learning one, the, uh, yeah. the chess guy, the uh, <laughs> uh, sway, uh, uh, What's the book called? You just ate. That's the issue. I, I just ate. My brain is is not. Firing. I'll be happy to take charge and walk you through this book, and we'll wake up, stand now and then. Yeah. I have a lot of notes. Okay. But not about that other... Jesus, what... Uh, Josh, Josh Wait, Waitzkin. Josh, yes? The Art of Learning. That's it. Is, that, what's that one? I think that's it. <laughs> Marshall, you conjured it into being. You didn't even read it. I didn't ever read it, but I loved your report on it because yeah. you, it would have things in common with this one. Yeah, they're all about learning. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah well, this one is, goes more into, like, a little bit into the science of it uh, and just, like, very practical tips on like exactly how to practice to mm -hmm. make it as efficient as possible. Well, I'm eager to read the Josh <laughs> Waitzkin book. my father. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I am looking forward to reading that book because I feel like this is, the Art and Fear book was a good book. It was about how art is good and fear is bad and we don't want fear. <laughs> and it was sort of a beware, beware fear. The war of fear, art. Fear, Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. that. The, the war of art was life is suffering, art is war, get used to yeah. it. Are you doing it, book reviews of the I'm trying to books? orient us here. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it was, art is going to be difficult, and so if you're going to succeed at it, get in there and get to work or I'll kick your butt. Yeah. And then this one was, look at how awesome these people are. Yeah. How do they do it? Well, we can find out. Look at how good these people are. Let's see what they did. It didn't happen by accident. So this yeah. was... Well, he's this pretty much saying there's no, it's not because of talent. It's called the talent code. Yeah. He's basically saying, no, it wasn't because of talent. Read the subtitle of the book. The talent code. Greatness isn't born. It's grown. Here's how. That pretty much describes Daniel it. Coil, 2009. Yeah, you could. Yeah, that's. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah just I, the, I, just, I needed just to the see. The first it. subtitle, not the sub sub subtitle. Yeah, well, I could read that Tom Peters says, yeah, you, I you am willing to guarantee that you will not read a more important and useful book <laughs> in this year or any other, <laughs> any, any year. Wow, that's high oh, praise wow. from Tom Peters. All right, uh, now just read the whole book. <laughs> yeah. Where do you want to start here? Well, I have mentioned a bunch of stuff from this book throughout the th our three seasons. I, I mean, I I've, I've come back to this book as, as often as you go back to psychology of performance or mm -hmm. is that what it's called? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so we should have Dan, Dan Coyle, Daniel Coyle, Daniel Coyle. Daniel Coyle. <laughs> I'm sure if he's watching this, he'll be so pleased. <laughs> he'll be like, he, he doesn't know his name. On you. Can't Doyle? Remember his name. Uh, I can Doyle. tell when I was going through this, yeah. I had, more high praise for his influence on you and your influence on me because of the fact that talent is developed. It's grown. It's nurtured. Yeah. I don't think he's, he says that there's no such thing as like genetics and environment, right? He doesn't, he doesn't say that. He doesn't he, say He, he leans that way. He leans that way because there's no point of leaning the other way. Because you can't control it. It's done, right? Like that's, you, you've got your genetics, you're not going to change it. So, but it doesn't matter because you can develop a skill even if you're not naturally like gifted 
whatever that means in an area because of myelin. He goes you, into yeah. a myelin. You want to take up the, the counter argument for a minute or two, though? Sure. The counter argument would be, let me just take the, up the counter argument sincerely. Okay. I do believe in talent and I yeah. can't not believe in talent. And when I was about, I was in my mid twenties and, and I had read psycho cybernetics three times. And I remember thinking, what's talent? We've all got the same cells in our body. We've got the same organs in our body. No, it's just, no we don't. We've, we've, the thing is we share, <laughs> we're, of each other, right? yeah, we're exactly the same. We person. share a universal, uh, anatomy and that kind of thing. The same the, system. The same system. Okay. But yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so that means, shouldn't we just be able to say, I'm going to do it and then find the means to do it. Yeah. Now I mentioned this. Yeah. JPEGs time. have the same system, but pictures look very different. Yeah. Yeah. I mentioned this once to Wanda Duncan, who was listening to me as I pitched why I didn't think there was such a thing as talent. And she went, Marshall, if you don't think there's such a thing as talent, you should try teaching in college <laughs> for a while. <laughs> well, there's a lot of things there that are not just about talent. I mean, he also talks about, a, so there's, okay, this is a good, well, trying to bring this up. He says, the way to get good at something is deep practice. Mm -hmm. There's ignition mm -hmm. and masterful coaching, mm -hmm. right? Those are the three yeah. things. So... College, maybe, maybe a lot of people miss that ignition part of it. They don't, uh, they're not motivated to go practice deeply. She might have said, Marshall, you should try raising three children that came from the same two parents' bodies. She might have said that when you compare how one person gets a certain kind of, has an inkling towards something, a certain kind of, of. That's the ignition. Well, okay. So, yeah. The, there could be ignition very early on in a child, which promotes wait, 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 certain... Wait, 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 we don't want to... We, this is not the point to debate it. This is the thing that I do think yeah. that we are born with some raw material. Yes, absolutely. Our brains are wired differently from, yeah. from birth. It's like we already have a brain when yeah. we're born, which is, you know, not completely developed, but it's, it's a functional human. Yes. Like it <laughs> and we could even take it another way. Yeah. Why is it that two people who we could say are, are supposedly equally talented, equally trained, why is it that one inclines toward one style of art and another toward another style of art? Now, before you answer, before you answer, the observation of it is that there are things that are mysterious. There are things we just don't know and yeah. we put labels on that. And the advantage of putting a label on that is that it does create some awe. It creates some wonder of where did you come from and right. where so did you just that want to talent? Say talent? You want to say talent just because you don't understand it. But like, I, I feel like there's just too many variables for us to be able to explain why one person is this way and another person is that way. Yeah. There's like thousands and thousands of variables around us that make us go towards one way. Or, you know, or specific path in life. If you're born half a second later, you might be a different person. Well, now that, since we've so beautifully developed this thing about talent. <laughs> yeah, great counter argument. But yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, talent, I, no, I don't think he says talent isn't he a real thing. He doesn't thing. say that talent it, Genetics is real. We are wired differently. Some people are actually taller okay. than other yes, people. That's right. That's right. This yeah, is a yeah, fact. There's a difference. And being taller will make you better at certain activities. Yeah. 
This is not anything that's not about developing skill to be taller. There are certain things that make you better. Your, your ears might work better than someone else's ears. Your eyes might work better. These are... <laughs> okay, we've, are we, we've made point one. Yes. Uh, talent exists. Yes, talent exists. This is really interesting. Yeah. Now, where do we Woo. go? <laughs> <laughs> well, now let's focus on... Okay, you've got your talents. Everyone's got their own unique talents. Mm -hmm. Now, you got... You, uh, you, you got to get some ignition. <laughs> You gotta get some gas in the fire. You just put some wood in there, ignite, get motivated on something. Yeah. Uh, and then once you're motivated, now you you got deep focused, deep practice. Let's That's try right. this. He, he puts a lot of emphasis on deep practice. Yes, That's he does. But you're you're using terms that a person who's new to this. Yes, we should explain. Yeah. How would you do? You want to start with a summing up of what he gets at in this book. He says, I thought we just did that. Yeah, yeah. But you used words like myelin and deep practice, etc. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's that this is excellence can be attained. And the big thing that he hammers on over and over is that it's, it's measurable or at least quantifiable physically through a microscope about what happens when we, quote, gain talent. Yeah, I think to sum it up, I, I think what he says is that you can get good at something by focused strategic practice that is just a little bit beyond our current abilities. Yeah. So that we make mistakes and constantly correct ourselves yeah that is like kind of summing up he, he goes into detail about like pretty much every word i just said yeah um so like he talks what is focused strategic practice how do you do that going a little bit beyond what you're comfortable with what is that how do you do that making mistakes and why that's important and how to you know how to correct yourself and all, like all these things he goes into to, to detail about but like that kind of summarizes pretty much it's not it's not enough to go through the motions to practice you have to do it deliberately and constantly make mistakes don't just feel be doing the safe thing and just kind of like yeah whatever I'm, I'm I can imagine a person saying mm -hmm. do i need to read a book to tell me that practice should be a little bit hard you don't but i mean he gives you very specific examples and and, and I, you know what to look for i loved the example yeah the examples are great let's start with the one in the, the introduction because the introduction sold me one? on the book it was the girl who did a month's worth of practice in six minutes clarissa i think was her name she's practicing the violin and it, well, there was video of her wait so i read this book five years ago and i took a whole bunch of notes and i reviewed my notes okay and it was enough for me, but I think it was enough, but I didn't write anything about that story. Can you yeah, yeah. tell the story? It had to do with some research uh, of music students practicing. And it's so prosaic. This girl is trying to practice a violin passage and she makes a mistake and then she pauses and corrects the mistake. And then she continues and makes another mistake and pauses to correct the mistake. And within that six minutes, she got a grip on what she was doing and he uses this as a little paradigm, a six-minute paradigm of what can happen along a whole arc toward mastery. 
And you might say, well, so what? You, you work on, a, on something, make a mistake, and then correct it. But one of the points he makes is that we tend to go for things that are more comfortable. Yeah. So we tend to practice stuff we're already good at and become hacks by doing the same thing over and over. But he did not emphasize hackiness. He did not emphasize the negative side of this. He emphasized the positive side of embracing discomfort and our, our own uh, mistakes. So that he yeah, even using used... mistakes as a compass to guide us to improvement. Yeah. Like every time that you make a mistake, you should get excited because this is like an opportunity to get better. That was one of the most encouraging things about the book. He used the staggering baby trying to learn how to walk. <laughs> and if the staggering baby mm -hmm. was to say, this is too hard and give up, the staggering baby takes delight in the area where they are not walking well. And so they just keep going at it and going at it and going at it. So again, he's got probably- Crawling a, is easier or more comforting. That's right. He's got about a dozen things like that to where it's the call to embrace and even to enjoy and even to be enthusiastic about where you're not good. Yeah. To celebrate where you're not good with the attitude that if I just explore around in here long enough, I'm going to get good at this. And that one after another, after another, after another of those thousands of times leads to something that is so awe-inspiring that people just say, wow, what a talent you've been given. Yeah. He has another story towards the end that I really enjoyed because when I read it, it was, I think Melissa was pregnant. So it's related to kids and how you talk to them. So he says that if you tell your child after some kind of success, good job, you're so smart, that will basically promote more like, oh, I'm, I'm naturally this way. So I'm just going to keep trying to look smart and do things that make me smart. So they naturally will just try to like do things that are easy yeah. where they can guarantee success versus if you instead the same success you say good job you worked hard they'll think they'll associate that with the practice is what led to success and why my parents are happy because i practiced and i got better at something yeah. and so they will constantly look for more things i get better at so just those simple ways of phrasing and, and promoting hard work versus promoting being smart. <laughs> yes. And right. some dramatic examples of that were that were research oriented where they were putting with control groups yeah. and seeing how just giving a person a compliment on who they are and what they are like makes them do worse, tends to make them do worse than to say, gosh, I, I'm, I'm so pleased with how hard you worked on that. Mm -hmm. That That's one example after another of that was enough to where I was feeling like, this is what it's claiming to be. This is, yeah. this is a secret bit of knowledge that if we know where to congratulate ourselves, where to, to congratulate each other, that it is not on who you are, which leads to entitlement, which leads to the fear of losing that identity of who I am. The, right. The encouragement to keep making yourself uncomfortable because that is so great what's coming out of it. Right. Tell me some of your favorite parts about it. I want to get one from early on in the book. So that okay. We... Oh, yeah. No, this is, this is my favorite one. because This is kind of an example of deep practice. This was um, the Brazilian soccer team. Yes. Uh, and how or the Brazilians, just Brazilian soccer, kids play a different version of soccer. I think I've told this story. Yeah. Right? 
But it's okay. Uh, tell it again because yeah, it, tell, this, this is an interesting about, story. Um, so this version of soccer, they use a smaller ball. It's it's twice the weight. It's heavier. Yeah. The there's fewer players on on the field, and the the field is much smaller. And so basically, all those things. It, it's basically an example of deep practice towards playing regular soccer because everything is made uh, to be more difficult. So fewer players on the field means each player gets more time with the ball. They kick more often because the ball is heavier and so they got keep keep kicking it. Um, it's less forgiving so they have to be, be more precise with kicking it and moving, maneuvering it. <laughs> yeah. um, what else is there? It's, yeah, it's, I think it's less forgiving because it's smaller maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Um, but yeah, all these things are just preparing them to, to play real soccer. And so, he, he uses that as an example of ways you can modify your, the things that you're trying to get good at to practice a little more deeply, like playing with time. I've, I've mentioned that like 20 times already. Like slowing things down so that you can analyze the, the motions better and you can be more, you can learn to be more precise with the motion because you're doing it slower. And you can uh, identify your mistakes better because you're doing it slower. Um, speeding it up. Um, changing the order of things. So if you're learning music, just take chunks out, flip them, move them around, and then just practice playing those parts separately so that you really get comfortable with every piece as, a, as its own. So I think he calls it chunking, right? So chunking, yeah. Chunking, you, you observe the whole, mm -hmm. then you break it up into small pieces. Mm -hmm. And you observe each each piece, mm -hmm. whether that's um one motion is broken up into pieces, right? Like if you're learning how to um, play golf, there's a lot of parts to having a good golf swing, right? Level of your shoulders, the position of your hands, the the way your hips move. I don't I don't play golf. So I don't <laughs> the, the the speed at which you do it, the arc. I don't know, whatever, but all of those things you can break them up and practice each individually and just get really good at everything and look at the whole. Yeah. Slow down the motion, make it faster, uh, hit a different ball, get a heavier uh, club. It's, <laughs> I don't know. It's similar though too. it's a more sophisticated version of swinging a bat with a weight on it. Yeah. You're trying to make this that, harder. Yes. So that when you do the actual thing, it feels easier. You're over-preparing yourself in a way. Yes. Uh, but it's not just that, because the first thing you mentioned about getting a, a picture of the whole means that you get the context of this. Right. You're seeing that my objective is to have a career. My objective is to win the game. My objective is to do this play well. My objective is to make this kick accurate. And so you're taking it from big all the way down to the small parts. And it's a bit like a mechanic taking apart a car and knowing every part of it mm -hmm. and even being able to know how I'd know how to manufacture that part. It's just getting your head around the thing that takes yeah. a few years to get your head around. And there's other things he mentions like do it with your eyes closed so that you mm -hmm. engage other senses and you mm -hmm. focus on all the other senses that have to be. Oh, hey, that might not be in this book. What was that? He has another book called um, The Little Book of Talents or Talent. Huh? Yeah, he does have another book called Little Book of Talents and I, that, I might be getting it from that. But he, sa he talks about closing, doing things with your eyes closed, doing things backwards. Yeah. Um, I don't so, think he mentioned, uh, well, 
I don't know. It's probably from the other book. But here's what happened <laughs> when I re read this. I, I did a deep read on this. Okay. And I found myself making so many notes to myself and wanting to talk about it with everybody <laughs> because even when he gets to the point of how a soccer player will practice and how you can chunk it up, yeah. it triggers, it ignites in me, hey, you could also do this. What's hey, that? you could also like do that. Hey, you could also slow it down in how, a way that... Did you come up with any for art? Because he doesn't use like art for as any examples. It's always like sports, most, mostly sports and then like chess and music. And, like, have you, did you come up with any ways of practicing drawing? When we did the podcast on expressionism, which we called expressionism, the abstract expressionist one, yes, some of those came from having read this the first time and having incubated in me for Remind a few years. Me. Uh, the memory drawings that, that uh, Nicolaides called daily compositions okay. were something I integrated in uh, like I never had before. The reveries, uh, the photo quests, etc. Daily but, compositions. So this is part of chunking you're focusing on. This is on part of specific. chunking that you're focusing on one thing at a time. But yeah. I want to answer your question. Okay. Yeah, go ahead. You can... The question was, did I come up with specific things? Yeah, for art. As you were reading it and he gives you all these examples of all, like, all this different... Yes these different things did you after, were you thinking about artists and how you can apply it to after reading it the first time was where i locked more into for composition studies black and white puzzle pieces for no tan i'd always had students do it but i started to figure let's mm -hmm. just start for the first 30 or 40 or 100 uh, comp studies only puzzle piece metaphors because puzzle piece metaphors keep it simple but puzzle piece metaphors are, are not enough. And then to go from puzzle pieces to where since each puzzle piece is like a trap, how would your eye get out of that trap? Now we move to edges. Puzzle pieces are sharp edges. Are you going to have a way to get out of this? And then we find other metaphors. How do you get in and out of a room? It's not just a completely open room. It's not a, a painting with no edges. There's going to be walls. There's going to be windows. There's going to be doors. There's going to be gazebos. So switching from one metaphor to another, to another, to another, to where in a composition class, you've got about a dozen ways that you've looked at your picture. And each one of them, as as Nicolaides would say, shines the spotlight on a separate discipline, mm. independent of the others, mm. so that the student can naturally assimilate different ways of looking at a picture and understanding it. And I feel more excited. I did not realize that how much of that came from him chastising me to not just tell people, study masters, study masters, study masters, but that part of my job as a teacher is to give specific ways to study masters. He does have a, a, a big section on masterful coaching. That's enough, but the masterful coaching one is a five or 10 minute conversation on its own. Yeah. Let me, let me quickly explain ignition and say how okay. this, uh, why don't you want to start with ignition? No, you explain it. Okay. And I'll, I'll well, uh, I, he had a chapter in there called primal cues. It was, it was one of my favorite chapters and it was about the fact that sometimes just a little thing in your life can trigger mm. a whole bunch of things for the rest of your life and it cannot be predicted. But it's like just one little match, one little spark grabbed somebody and then everything changed after that. In fact, there was an argument to be made that with some research about how, you remember the birthday thing? Oh, where like 
kids whose birthday is like in January versus like February. No, where no, no. It goes to the. That's a, that, that's a whole other thing. <laughs> Wait, is this? this am was, I thinking of a? You were thinking of another thing. Another about, book uh, about like, are you more likely to succeed at one sport than another because you were born here, and that means you're going to get into this league at this age yeah. just before? Is that what you're yes. thinking? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's an interesting I'm thing up too. Books. This this is a whole other thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. They did some research to see how long students would spend on a math problem. Okay. And so they had students work on this math problem after reading a an encouraging story from a person who wasn't good at math and got good at math. A student <laughs> like you. <laughs> but on some of them, that student who's talking about how they got good at math, they gave them the birth date falsely. That's the same oh. birth date of the person oh, taking the test. Oh man, oh that's brilliant. And it changed the amount of time they would spend solving the problem and it was not that they consciously had to say, I'm born on the same day this person was, this was an, a subconscious ignition. I wrote, this is what I wrote about ignition, it's an external trigger that motivates us to get good at something. Uh, it makes us believe that we can achieve this thing. So it makes it achievable. The birthday thing is brilliant because kids identify their birthday as their day. Like today is my day. Yeah. Right? Like it's rare to share a birthday with someone you know. Yeah. Like or another kid that's that you always hang out with. So it's like it, this today is your day. Yeah. And if someone else has that your day, it's like they're very much like you. Or they it's like they are you. Yeah. So they identify strongly. Now uh, having mentioned though the ignition thing. Yeah. That you see someone like you and so you can say I, I can do it. There's an opposite thing that happens too. Okay, I got to tell a story okay. about a chimpanzee. <laughs> Great. That's it was an amazing episode. thing and I saw it with my own eyes. These trainers of chimpanzees came to show animation students. Uh, they had a, a three-year-old chimpanzee named Cody and then they had uh, uh, a female who was more like uh, middle-aged and a male. Each one of them had their own distinct personalities. Of course. And uh, this was in a group of all grown-ups. And Cody, the three-year-old chimpanzee, was, was full of energy and making his rounds around who's going to give me attention and that kind of thing. But there was Out one... The people? In the, yeah, in this group of people. Okay. There was one kid in there, and I, I'm guessing he was about 10 years old, and Cody got really interested in this kid and, you know, was looking him over because he's the only one here who's like me. And then the, Cody, Cody jumped, and then the kid jumped, and then Cody jumped more, and the kid jumped more, and Cody jumped to where there was no way a human kid could compete with this. <laughs> and when Cody landed, he looked at the kid and went, <laughs> That's amazing. it was clearly a display of you a human. Yeah. And the, everyone burst into laughter because it was so unvarnished. Yeah. But it was also really, really interesting. I've thought about it ever since that what is important to you, I'm a little one here. There's another one who's bigger than me. He's taller than me, but he can't jump as high as me. And if that's what, that's made a lot of people achieve. Well, there's identity and competition in that one. Yeah, there is. That's, that's right. That's an example <laughs> yeah. of both. 
<laughs> so yeah. what do you <laughs> it's just a fun story this was a story of showing that some people are motivated by being better than others oh the other better than others within their within, within or, or even the, the other team cody's on one team and the, the human kid is on another team and he's letting him know my team's better than yours oh okay. the humans versus the chimpanzees most of these examples huh. that daniel Coyle uses are athletic and they're competitive chess games uh tennis he uses musical ones that aren't necessarily competitive wait a minute hold on a second isn't the identity thing in itself competitive already no 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 I, I, I want to tell you why i believe this because i was raised in a milieu my older brother extremely competitive and me as a shadow of that i don't care about winning but i cared very much about who are the tv writers who are the people who write the songs? Who are the people that do the things that I admire? And I looked at them never with a sense that I want to be better than other people. I looked at uh, them with a sense of, oh, they are so great. They are so wonderful. I would love to do something like that. And it was not out of a sense of competition. It was out of a sense of admiration and awe and love of somebody who can do work that good. Did you want to be on the team you were on? I didn't care to be on a competitive team, I, I, but I explain, explain how you mean. I'm just thinking that when you identify with a group, mm -hmm. there is, I mean, maybe it's not always, but it's just like, it's us versus them. No, I've, I just, it was never that. Okay. Now what we're doing though, yeah. is we're talking about the difference between identity. These are my people. This is my kind of thing and competition, yeah. which is this, these are my people and I want to win against the other ones. Well, I just kind of, it's like, I identify with this group. Mm-hmm. And so I, I want to fight for that group and just prove that like my group is good. Yeah. I just feel like that's part of human nature. It is, but here's the thing though, Stan. It is, I think it is maybe 60, 70, 80, 90% of people seem to be motivated by a competitive edge, mm -hmm. but not everybody is. And I speak that because I really do think that I have very little of that in me, some in me. But yeah, I mean, of, of course, I guess okay. some, some people don't. Right. Um, but it's like, you know, you look at sports and it's like, you root for the team that's in your city. I, <laughs> right? I like a lot did. of people root for the, the team in their city, even if they're going to lose, they root for them and they just, just really want them to win. Screw the other guys. <laughs> when I was 10 years old, I was a junior angel. That means that I could pay 10 bucks and for a whole season I'd get to go to 10 games at the Anaheim Stadium and I used to go there by my, uh, by myself my dad would drop me off and then he'd pick me up out at the corner of Catella and State College you never do that now but I would be there the whole evening alone I just never cared whether my team won I so just was interested in the game and when there was a good player who did really good I remember that was that was the thing that excited me most but, but did you ever root for someone when you're watching some like two teams or people competing like during the olympics or or whatever it is you don't root for anyone like oh come on and go do it beat them whatever you that doesn't you don't get yeah, that but emotion see, i'm bringing this around too much to myself no I, it, I wanna, no, i'm asking the you answer the is no no you don't. i have never cared who won any game i i just 
I just have never cared. And I know that I'm missing something. I know I'm missing something in doing that. But I have never followed sports. I've never watched the Olympics. I've never Boy, cared you've about never watched no, the Olympics. And I've, I've never, I have never tuned in for what? more than a few minutes the Academy Awards. I hardly ever cared. Oh, that's different. You're Academy. not watching them compete. You're watching them get their trophies. Yeah, I guess that's, so. But still, different. everybody's like, oh, good, good. My movie won over the other ones. I, 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 I felt a little yeah. bit that way at times. But still, this is too much about Marshall's lack of concern about who wins. We need to bring it back yeah, no, this through identity just, versus competition. I was just curious. That just felt very weird to me. I know. I don't think I've ever met someone like that. You will find weird. a counterpoint to me at some point where I will root for a side so viciously, <laughs> and so it'll, be, it'll all just well up that I'll just want to kill the other side, because that's what happens with characters who are one way, is that their counterpoint will be more extreme than everybody else. But we'll yeah. wait. We'll there's, with there's something you care deeply about. I'm sure there is. Yeah. Because you probably just don't care about sports. I don't care about sports. But you care about other things. But I do, care, do care about, about the beauty of athletes in motion and that kind of thing. That's, oh, gosh. That's, that's, not, that's, that's a, not, a, a no, marvelous that's, thing. Wait, hold on. Hold on. Give me one more minute on this. Okay. Take your time. Can, what do you care about? You care about students. I do. You care about learning. So has there ever been like the students against something else like the school isn't doing something for the students and so you gotta you're rooting for the students and you're just like oh, oh I, we yeah. gotta beat that faculty oh, whatever just absolute contempt <laughs> hatred and motivated you feel it <laughs> yeah. found it you found the thing yeah. you feel but that That's that is a different thing than competition kind of that is somebody think, wins in the end right i remember when i thought my my son was threatened when he was very small, two or two and a half. And I remember feeling a sense of, of uh, well, yeah, adrenaline that's, rush. That's different. That's parenting. You're just trying to keep your son safe. Yeah. That's, okay. That's but why are we doing this? Is this a I, This is my own side trip. This is for my own. We have strayed so far away from Daniel <laughs> Coyle's book. Oh, to, yeah. To, but but I, I know I initiated it. But the reason I initiated it is because... The thing that was important about the, this to me was students care about role models who are similar because mm -hmm. it gives them a kind of permission or as he says, an ignition to say, let's, let's see, let's see who's best at this. I think that my <laughs> side is better at this and yeah. both of them can bring out good. Now, let's get to the example in the book that I love. Of ignition? Of ignition, yeah. One of the phenomena he pointed it out is that one person breaks the four minute mile because it was thought to be impossible to physically impossible to break. And then the everyone does mile. it next year. And then it starts being breaking over and over and over and over because now we've got permission to permission to, to, to do break better. The, yeah. That's so yeah, I know. That's weird, huh? Isn't it a trip? It's, it's kind of strange. I've always wondered like why do in the Olympics Every time I watch swimming it's like a new world record. <laughs> like why do they keep beating each other? Like like, do, are they really, like, humans really getting better and better at swimming? Like, or is it just that but now everyone has a new, better goal while they're not at the Olympics? And so they're, they're yes. going for that goal, not the goal over here. Everybody is getting better because <laughs> yeah, right. the, I'm told that this happened with, with music performance. That there were great pianists in history, but we'll never know because there were no recording it at the time of Beethoven or even the, the late Romantics. As soon as recording came in, 
all sorts of things change in the 20th century. 20th century is the most amazing musical phenomenon ever for the blossoming and flowering of styles. But also I'm told, Robert Greenberg uh, mentioned it in one of his courses, that once people started hearing what other pianists could do, what other uh, musicians could do, it upped the ante. Mm. And so now it's going to get better and better and better. And that is happening on a drawing scale. Drawing scale? Yes. On, what does on, that mean? Because once Kim Jong-gi gets oh. put on oh, video, yeah. now everybody- I'm starting to see people that remind me of Kim Jong-gi. It's happening like, all over that? the place. And it, it took somebody to say, I can do this. Yeah. And there you, I used to have arguments with teachers. That no, you or, can't? That, that Yes, that it's- that, <laughs> Draw, or are you saying that yes, everyone can? I could. Or? I was saying that if you learn form and you learn it, if you learn the what the thing's made of anatomy and you learn form, there should be no reason why you shouldn't be able to draw anything of imagination if you've got it in your imagination. Right. And it used to turn into arguments that I thought were absurd, and but I couldn't draw that way to. <laughs> so it's you like you argue. can't do it. <laughs> yeah, show us. Yeah. <laughs> and now, even right when he emerged. There were several people. I even tried my hand at it a few times and I could tap into it for a minute yeah. to where it's going to flow out. But sometimes it takes the humans standing, the animals standing up on their hind legs and other ones saying, can we do that? And then I think, I think we can do that. <laughs> and then everybody cool. starts standing up on their hind legs. Right. How do you make a vacation last? How do you hold on to the joy, the clarity, the calm? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool, white, sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Most of you listening right now are probably multitasking. Yep, while you're listening to me talk, you're probably also driving, cleaning, exercising, or maybe even grocery shopping. But if you're not in some kind of moving vehicle, there's something else you can be doing right now. Getting an auto quote from Progressive Insurance. It's easy, and you could save money by doing it right from your phone. Drivers who save by switching to Progressive save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Discounts for having multiple vehicles on your policy, being a homeowner, and more. So just like your favorite podcast, Progressive will be with you 24-7, 365 days a year, so you're protected no matter what. Multitask right now. Quote your car insurance at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Before I read The Talent Code, mm -hmm. I'd watched Dogtown and Z-Boys at least eight, nine times. Mm -hmm. And so when he brought, him up, brought them up on my first reading six years ago, and then I, I used them as an example for one of uh, my recommendations on this podcast a year or so ago, the yeah. Dogtown and Z-Boys are a perfect example of both the uh, identity and competition. Yeah. Because they were, they had an identity. We are the punks who did school. We want school. to prove that we're good. That's right. Yeah. And, and it's because we are the poor kids. We are the kids who are not good in school. We yeah. are the surfers. We are the punks. So they had an identity. There's a, there's a thing of like, I want to prove everyone wrong. Nobody, everyone thinks we suck, but we don't. 
And I don't know why, because I was not a rebel like them. I don't know why it appeals to me so much to see these guys succeed. Maybe you root for the underdog all the time. I was, uh, when I was watching that, I was thinking, yeah, but there's another thing. Uh, it's competition on the outside, but there was competition within them. Of course. And when you watch that documentary, it is really clear that who rises to the top of the pecking order of this group within us, I am the one in charge. I am the one who, like Cody, can look at the other ones and go, and they all say, yeah, 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 but let me retreat and come back and see if I can do better. Uh, oh, Jay Adams alone is just a phenomenon. And he mentions him in here and how with the Z-Boys, when they went to compete in Del Mar, how they just, he even used the word that he just, they blew everyone else out of the water. He used some metaphor like that, that they, they showed all the disciplined kids how good they were because they were so in love with skateboarding. I get, I get very excited about that. I get excited about the Dallas, mm. the Dallas singers. I get excited about the people who are not necessarily, uh, not necessarily in a competitive game. Certainly the Dogtown and Z-Boys were. He calls them hotbeds. Mm -hmm. Hotbeds are, is like a group of people somewhere that all of a sudden there's an explosion of highly skilled, talented people that's like all in one place. And it's, it's because there was an external trigger towards that one group. And I have seen enough hotbeds, some of them huge, some of them not so huge, but still effective in, in the years that I've been teaching college students in, in, different, in different schools. I've seen enough of them to where when he goes at this and says, let's look at what they have in common and identify specific traits that create hotbeds. What are those traits? One of them is identity. One right. of them is what you mentioned, the competition thing. Uh, one of them is patience. Mm. One of them is that when, when the Korean golfers or the, the Russian tennis players, when one person breaks through, then it takes a few years. When Octavia Butler becomes a celebrated science fiction writer, then there's going to be more and more and more, but it takes a few years. And that was the patience thing that it does not, you do not become talented in six months or a year. You do not become exceptional in six months of a, a year. He estimated it was what, three to four to five years where once ignition takes, it takes this time for it to happen and it's not working harder. It's working harder at the right things. And that proof that 20 minutes of practice a day can make you better than an hour and a half of practice and that Based you can on show you on practice. a chart. Yeah, depending on how you chart. That means that if you want to create a hotbed within your friends, you do <laughs> the things that you get. <laughs> Should I have not used that metaphor? <laughs> This sounds like an orgy. I know it does. <laughs> Go ahead, keep going. If, if you we want get. to create a hotbed of talent <laughs> within the people that you hang around with, to make it a serious, to read this book, my gosh, if you're creating community of people that you want to get good at, to read this book over a period of a month and discuss it and ask how it relates to how you're doing your anatomy studies and your form studies and your composition studies and your choosing of technique. I remember when I used to talk about that you understand substance before you understand style. Because style is, comes later, style is, is a surface. And then Skip says on that documentary, well, to us, style was everything. And I thought, 
okay, just Marshall, back off. What does he mean? And sure enough, those skateboarders each had a style that gave them an identity, says, I am part of this group and I'm good at this kind of skateboarding. So that even that within your group of people that you're getting better with, I had three siblings who were all homeschooled. They were all art students at the junior college. They were all exceptional and they all did fantasy sci-fi art. And each one of them had their own specific kind. One was only cute. One was more edgy. One was more or more cartoony. One was, was more uh, rendered. They had a way that they made a spectrum of themselves so that as siblings, they were a team and each one played a, a wheel. Yeah. Uh, uh, but they had already gotten good at the hard skills, mm-hmm. right? He actually, in his other book, the little book of secrets he goes into hard skills versus soft skills tell me tell us the difference it's basically like when in art where we talk about like the fundamentals those are the hard skills those are the hard skills this is what everyone needs to learn it's the same for everyone because they're the core they're the core yeah okay and the soft skills are like the things that make up your style yeah yeah you could they're the things that you can interpret in whatever way you want right hard skills you you can't just like do it in your own way perspective is perspective you can't Choose to put vanishing points over there just because you feel like it's your style. That's not it, how it works. It's a little more complex than that. But it's, it's kind of, but that's yeah. what it, I mean, yeah, you kind of get it. There's... One of these students had a more flat and cartoony style, which would mean the perspective might not have been as important. To True, them. but they still understand the hard skill. They still yeah. knew, they still had the hard skill of correct perspective. Uh, not necessarily. Not necessarily. But, but, but they didn't know how to. When you were doing decorative stuff mm-hmm. that you may not need it as much, but it really isn't important. Because if okay. you're, as soon as you're going to work in, in spatial, where you're going to compose characters in space, characters that have anatomy, characters that can be on a ground plane or flying through and they look credible, then you're going to need perspective at, at that point. But you're, you're right. I do, okay. I do understand that they each, here's, here was their hard skill. They each had discipline. They each really poured themselves into their work and cared about their work. So that's where they were all united. And I, the interesting thing to me is they were all united by the same genre, but it was a different manifestation of the genre. All of this goes back to the lesson, which is within your group of talent to claim territory. Like when you see teams work, so-and-so is the best hitter. This one's the best uh, pitcher. This is one is the, uh, the best for running. And you've got, each one's got your skill. There's been movies, even some movies that, that aren't that great where you see people work, you know, in a heist or whatever. Uh, right. Yeah. <laughs> Ocean's each, Eleven. Yeah. That sort of thing. Each one you does the their programmer, work. The programmer, yeah. you know, the hacker. Yeah. Who's behind like, <laughs> I'm in. Yeah. Cameras yeah. are off. That's Doors right. are open. You got yeah. two minutes. And yeah. then the person's coming into the ceiling because yeah. they know gymnastics. <laughs> yeah. Those are the good movies, though. We didn't really talk about myelin. Now, explain what it is. To a person who doesn't know what myelin is. Okay. Well, it's a chemical in your brain. Or it is a chemical, right? <laughs> um, so, basically, you have neural pathways. And as you do some action, your brain fires a neural pathway. It's a series of neurons, right? And every time you fire that same pathway, meaning every time you practice the same thing, whatever it is, a, a gestural stroke, an S-curve, a C-curve, whatever, that neural pathway gets coded in more and more myelin. And 
the more myelin is on that neural pathway, the faster it gets, the more efficient it gets. What? Why are you smiling? Because that means you can, the, the more you're gaining talent. Right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> you're wiring your brain to be talented. Yeah. Yes. You're just wired a certain way. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you, you're, you're reinforcing that pathway. And so your brain, in order to make sure it doesn't lose that pathway, kind of solidifies it with more myelin. Right? It's like, oh, this is something I do often. So let's just like make sure it stays like this. Mm -hmm. And so you just keep reinforcing it. But also, he says that to encourage myelin growth in your brain, you need to do new things constantly. Mm -hmm. Because if you just do things that you're already good at, the ones, the pathways that are already like in, in, engulfed in myelin, um, you're not really growing much myelin at that point. Like the, the new, doing new things beyond what you're currently good at and fixing mistakes is what's going to create these new pathways and mm -hmm. add more myelin. So. Yeah. so what it comes down to is that you can see under a microscope talent developing. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. That you can you can see these rats and these rats were given different sets of problems and the ones who had tougher problems to get what they want their brains actually change. And the same way with musicians mm -hmm. that are constantly working on problems, their brains develop talent. Yeah. So it becomes now objective and measurable and not something to argue that we can see that yeah. muscles grow if you do these things and neural pathways grow if you do these things. Right. And that can be very encouraging because now yeah. you know I have control over it or no, I don't have control over it. I have a great deal of influence on it right. almost to the point of control over it yes he, he focuses on like okay deep practice is the way to get myelin yeah <laughs> uh, hold on <laughs> <You're>, <laughs> food by the way food Food, food gets destroys rid of myelin. myelin. <laughs> food puts myelin to sleep. It's an injection. Yeah. It cl it does no, it doesn't get rid of myelin. It just closes the entry to the the freeway. He says right. my myelin. The neural pathways are like are like free highways, right? The bigger the highway, the faster and more yeah. efficient the cars can get through. You want yeah. traffic jams. Food, specifically bad food, is the opposite. It's yeah. a traffic jam. I'm making yeah. that up. That's not true. But but yes, if you've got un if you've got wilderness, particularly jungle wilderness where everything's difficult to to get through, uh, if you've got that, it's going to be harder than if you've trudged it a few times. If enough you mean? if enough animals have gone through there, if you've gone through there enough, it starts to become easier and easier because you're starting to create a path. So yeah, but specifically that first part of it where you're trying to figure out what that path is mm -hmm. that's where the most myelin is actually built right because that's where it's hardest yeah that's where you're you're making the most mistakes and fixing mistakes this is where it has a lot in common with art and fear is that yeah. there's resistance 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 what is the resistance i don't want you to get talented because it's going to be a lot of hard work so just do the easy thing stay where you are mm -hmm. no i'm sorry the war of art mm. This is where it has something in common with oh, the right. war of art. Two random things that pop out. So he, he says, obviously younger people produce more myelin. 
till 30 you're you're producing more and more myelin and then at 30 to 50 it's like flat mm -hmm. and then after 50 it starts to drop but it's always five percent or so that you can develop myelin as you get older five percent that you've you still got a five percent edge of if i'm 60 and i want to develop a new talent mm -hmm. i may not be able to in a matter of a year or two uh develop 30% or 60% or myelin, but what I've already got, I can build on. There's a whole lesson in that too, but that might come mm -hmm. toward the coaching thing. Right. He says, try to focus on making your practice really efficient and focused instead of more of it, right? Yeah. It's not that more is necessarily better. Yeah. Because after three to five hours, your brain is just too tired. <laughs> <laughs> and then that, that goes along with what I've, what I was doing. I would do two three-hour chunks mm -hmm. in my day where I'd do three hours in the morning, three hours in like the late afternoon and mm -hmm. that's all I could do. After that point, I was just too tired to, I was kind of going through motions. I wasn't focused anymore. Yeah. And it's, then it becomes a waste of time. You're just, you're kind of reinforcing laziness at that point. Mm -hmm. And as it happens on a, an, on a day's schedule. Mm -hmm. comes a point where you're not going to be able to do any any more good. I think that there's something that happens in a lifespan as well, that it's unlikely uh, when we're over a certain age that we're going to start a whole new profession and excel at it. But it does happen, and when you observe it happen, it's usually you are building on something that you were already doing without knowing it. You know what I mean? Uh -uh. That you decided I'm going to become a a rep. Uh -huh. I'm going to become an art, art art rep instead of an artist. Okay. But then you look at your life when you're in your fifties, and you say, and you've also had people in your neighborhood who were so difficult to deal with, or people in your family who were so difficult to deal with that you really got good at diplomatic salesmanship. And now you shift it from that over to the other thing, and you have raw material. With, with your myelin applied to one thing and then applied to another. Oh, one, right. of my, one of my favorite examples of it, he doesn't mention this in the book, but it's something that I've observed. There's a film director, uh, Barry Sonnen, Barry Sonnenfeld? Jerry Seinfeld? No. The guy who directed Men in Black. Yeah, the guy who directed Men in Black and he directed uh, Adam's Family Values. Barry Sonnen... Sonnenfeld. That's Barry Sonnenfeld. That's just like Jerry Seinfeld. <laughs> Barry Sonnenfeld was the Coen Brothers cinematographer before Roger Deakins. He's got an interview on, I think, the last film that he did for them. It's maybe Miller's Crossing. And uh, one night I was at a party at a woman's house named Hillary Ney. And there was only one other Jew in the uh, party. And that was Joel Cohen. And Joel and his brother Ethan had just written a script for Blood Simple. And then he says, I'd never done a cinematography. He said, I did some cinematography, some pornography with friends, but nothing else. And then he becomes, he becomes this a real hotbed, huh? excellent cinematographer. So you look him up, you read his Wikipedia entry, you find out what his background is, and his uh -huh. parents were in the business of interior lighting oh, God. for for people's you know living or selling lights and that kind of thing. So this is a kid who's raised in an environment 
where it's all about how you light your living room and how you light your environment. And he didn't even know that he was preparing to be a cinematographer and he was aware of how light was affecting the environment. So that's an example of someone who was building a skill at seeing how things look without having any knowledge that it was going to later apply to film. Now, why are you looking that way? It's uh, you're looking askance. I mean, it, isn't that like always true? Like y- you kind of learn from your parents based on their profession, you know? Yeah. Like, okay, they are professional de- interior designer, decorators. Yeah. Uh, like, like, of course you're going to pick up on that. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, Ben Zhu, who, who, uh, runs, uh, who started Gallery Nucleus, yeah. started out as an art student and an artist, but his parents, uh, knew retail. And so when he started Gallery, Gallery Nucleus, he's already got a family history of this is what I can do. I can play a role on the team of all of my LA art friends and I can mm. be the person who is the gallery guy and and the retail store and the and the rep guy mm-hmm. so that's another example of all i brought all of this up because well how am i going to succeed if i'm changing professions when i'm in midlife and one answer is to get out in front of you all of the stuff you are already good at and see how these puzzle pieces fit together with other people's puzzle pieces because we cannot grow myelin over a certain age like we could when we were younger you still get myelin though <laughs> but yeah kids yeah load more okay what next uh the coaching is the i think the only thing left basically the thing i got from the coaching section of it was that coaches are there to either ignite motivation or support deep practice right and, there, and there can be two different types of coaches and yeah. early on it's better to have a more motivational coach just someone that gets the spark going yeah right gets the kids excited about it yeah and then later once that is already there and they're excited and they want to get good at it then it's more about some a coach that can help them practice in a deep way yeah like providing them with feedback um real subtle data on their performance so that they can keep improving and correcting themselves yeah and then also a coach that can support the student give them what they need at the uh when they need it because everybody's different they're different personality types mm-hmm. did he use the example of some kids might be more shy timid they lack intensity and whereas some people might just be like really energetic and sloppy but you know they don't lack intensity they're mm-hmm. really intense but they they need to slow down and kind of think about it first and and so it's like the opposite things and the coach needs to be able to adapt and provide that those are the things i got from that was the most meaningful thing to me ultimately of the whole book because it came toward the end Mm -hmm. that's why it's the most meaningful to you no because (laughs) if if you are a teacher Uh or a mentor don't miss where he takes this book because this Mm. book is partly for the talent the artists, the musicians, the players, but it is very much for the trainers, for the coaches, for the teachers, because one of the things is what you just said, there's no one size fits all. Every student needs something different. 
Yeah, that's what I'm pondering on this second read, is that sometimes it's, it's kick their butt, sometimes it's encourage them, sometimes it's say nothing until the end, and then make one suggestion that's actionable, sometimes it's interrupt every few seconds in a musical performance to say, no, 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 this way, this way, this way, and that it all depends. Right. And his spotlight on coaches and their different styles, the loud ones and the soft ones, the interrupters and the let it happen and, and do the tiniest little uh, uh, steering, that was something I do want to read again. But there was also a distinction that he made that was very important to me because it has to do with those, that distinction I've always made between there's creative skills and there's technical skills. And I don't know that he used those terms, but he talked he about- probably, That's probably what he means by hard and soft skills. Well, in his- right? what do you mean by that? Here, here's what he, here's the examples he used. Soccer mm -hmm. is always changing because the obstacles on the field are always changing. So that means the player has to think on their feet and they may go one direction or completely the other, other direction, but the skill is more a creative skill because you're making choices on the fly. Playing a Mozart violin concerto that has been pre-notated is not that way. Right. There may be creativity in your choices of how to interpret it, but it is a ton of demanding specific technical excellence. Right. So that you would put that on the side of technical skill. And then improvisation is somewhere in between where you, you can't be a, a brilliant violin Yeah, that is a little different you don't than know the technical hard skills. versus soft skill. That, that's, but that's slightly different. He used an analogy of that one is a tangle of vines, that uh, soccer is a tangle of vines, whereas playing the, the violin concerto is like building the cellular core of an oak tree, that it's got to be a certain way to give you a strong core. And those are, those are decent analogies, but I just feel like since I'm teaching artists, teaching visual artists, that one of the best analogies is just musicians. Some musicians make up their own music and many musicians make up their own music while they're playing it. Those are the extreme improvisationalists. Other ones will play Bach. And even though they have creativity in interpreting, they've got such a technical demand, they've got to get it right. Like the artist who already knows the picture they're going to make, now they've got to work out all of those technical problems on that. And they, they can meet in the middle. But yeah. uh, that was where he divided two different kinds of artists, two different kinds of skills, and two different kinds of coaching. Because the violinist who's trying to get the technical stuff right and that interpretation right will be all sorts of micromanaging. Whereas the soccer player or the person who's improvising, it just, there's no formula. There may be some reminders, but it is strategy where you've got to have a way of going about solving the problem because it's going to be a new you problem. You can practice strategizing yeah. too. That's what composition is. Composition yeah. is knowing how do I make good decisions? And going back to those, those fundamentals of composition is how is this unified? How is this similar to itself? How is it right. similar to other things? How is it different? How am I going to spread the differences apart? All of those basic things that are com common to the composition of music and, and art and sculpture and, and yeah. the life calendar, everything. But like the coach, even with strategy and imp improvisational decisions, can provide feedback. The coach provides a new scenario for the the 
the student to go through that they've never done before, you can analyze the way they did and say, well, you should have gone this way, yeah. right? Look what would have happened if you did this. You should and have gone this way and, and why? And right. How you can anticipate it in advance. Exactly. What are the cues you could have seen that should have pointed to that? And those are the little things that the coach can, the data they, they can provide even, you know, while the student is learning to make decisions on the spot. And yeah. so they'll get better at improv that way through an outside observer seeing it. <laughs> right? I mean, I'm yes. just thinking uh, improv is a skill itself that it you is. can practice and, and, and get data on. It's the OODA thing that we've talked about. It's come up a few times in our conversations. Observe, orient, decide, act. Mm -hmm. Is that, uh, and, and to do it over and over, not just to do it once, but to always go back into the loop. That is strategic and it is different. But I think strat or, or improv is a technical thing too. It can be can be but, it's, but it's, when it, you can what's the advantage it. though of, of, uh, is there an advantage to look at improv and say it's a technical skill i think there's a great advantage well, in how else do you practice improv you practice improv by improving right yeah but then how do you practice improving how do you i mean don't anytime you practice something in an efficient way deep way with the way he talks about don't you need feedback don't you need to focus on something so you were the one who told me, I think it was in one of these books that we read about how when you train problem solvers, I don't even remember what the discipline was, that if you teach them how to solve the problem, they will get a certain level. But if you frustrate them to death or not to death, you frustrate them by <laughs> changing the problem over and over, they will do worse on that but then later they will do better on other things because they Didn't are you say that isn't that wicked practice yes yes that was it it was you're, you're the one practice. that brought that up i brought it up okay <laughs> yeah. and i'm attributing it to you but i yeah well, thank you yes i did come up with it wicked learning was where <laughs> wicked learning yeah wicked okay. learning is where improvisational skills are likely to be strengthened and i've seen it borne out that if a person in trying to learn composition feels like I need him to tell me more about what to do. You're saying, I want somebody else to compose this for me. And it, the excitement of creating and being the composer is that you get to decide what you're going to do. And that's where you find people who are the really creative ones versus the ones who more are technical skilled. And then you get the ones that are both. You get the Rembrandts, yeah, and you get the Paganinis, and you get the the ones that are just great at both, great technically and great at making decisions. Those are those are the special ones. It reminds me of the Art of Learning by by White Whiteskin, Whiteskin or Whiteskin, whatever it is. White, yeah, um, where he's talking about was it judo? It was some form of martial arts that he was practicing. It when it was him and another black belt, whatever, and two two very proficient people who are like very equal they, they've become you know they're it's like olympic athletes it's like that are both extremely good like one fight some one person will get the gold the next one the other person will get it and the only way they could really start getting better was to videotape themselves a fight is very kind of wicked learning it, yeah. it's creative there's no technical i mean there is a lot of technical stuff there but you don't know what the other person's going to do next. exactly yeah. you just have to improvise based on the other person's actions right. and the only way they could learn was to film it and observe every micro decision they made mm -hmm. so that next time they could see those things that you know 
in that microsite <laughs> and make those better right? decisions. Yeah. And they kept observing the footage and improving and each person would improve and come up with the next strategy to, to defeat, you know, the, what the other person would do. And they kept doing that and just kept getting better and better. Yeah. That is kind of like technical, isn't it? it well, yeah, but I, I do. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I mean, there is a technical side to strategy. Yeah. Certainly. I don't know that it's point. It's the same approach. It's the same approach to getting good at it as something that doesn't require too much creativity. Right. You just, you have to observe, you get the, you know, data, yeah. you fix your mistakes. A, a person who is, is good at their craft is usually very sensitive to every minor thing and where it goes off. Mm -hmm. But that's where, oh, one other thing about coaches. Did you notice that most of the best coaches in his observation were older? They were in their 60s or 70s. And what his reasoning was? What his speculation was? Let me guess. I don't okay. remember it. Let me, let me see. If, was it... That's not, I can't just be more experienced. That's stupid. No, it uh, wasn't. But it was, it's related to that. It's more nurturing? No. No? That may happen too. But sometimes you can get older and get less nurturing because you just get... <laughs> yeah, yeah, you get grumpy. Yeah. Um, hmm. They are slower. <laughs> it's partly that. Yeah. They have to go through their 10 years of so or so of getting their craft. And then, and I've been told this for years, most of the best coaches were not the best players. And he used the example of, was her name Linda? Linda Septian, who was a singer. She was a singer. She was a professional singer. She was a decent singer, but she was not a great singer. But by the time she's had a career and she's deeply into it, it's, she starts to do the same thing that I felt. I was never the best illustrator. I had a good career and it went for 20 years, but I was aware in my middle age. Why? Why is it that there are so many illustrators better than you? And it put me into a whole other thing which is to figure out what makes artists better. And so when coaches do this, how come my game is not as good as theirs? How come my singing is not as good as theirs? Then they go into their next career, which takes another 10 years or so or more to where they really understand both the craft, even if they're not the best at it, they know the craft mm -hmm. and they have now learned how to bring the best craft out of their people. Skip Englund was not, Englund was not the, uh, the, the, the skateboarder. He was the guy who knew how to bring it out of the Z-Boys. John Wooden is, I mean, he uses John Wooden as a, uh, an example, uh, who was never the best basketball player, but is considered one of the greatest coaches ever. Uh, that was the most encouraging thing to me about it, is that coaching is a separate skill. And when you've got the overlap, I know this discipline, but I also am learning how to bring it out with others. That's why I recommend this book to teachers and mentors and coaches. There is another variation of that overlap and he, he talks about this in uh, the little book of talent where basically he says that the best doers are also the ones that teach. Mm -hmm. What do you mean? So like he basically says teaching helps you learn. <laughs> yeah. I mean we, we've, we've said this a lot but it, it doesn't mean so like with your example where you're talking about how like the the best coaches or the ones that can't are not the best doers mm -hmm. sometimes i mean that could be discouraging to or that could discourage people from wanting to teach 
because they'll think, oh, if I teach, I'm not going to be a good doer. But that's not the correlation. It's the, the combination of the two kind of helps both. Because the, the middle-aged ignition for many a coach is why if I put 15 years into this, mm -hmm. why did I not get better? And then to say, oh, 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 I was missing this. Mm -hmm. And then to adjust accordingly in another round in which you're, you're right. with a team. They're going to be the ones that shine. But yeah, he, he does mention though that it, teaching helps you learn. And he, he wanted, he changed the quote. You know how, what's the, what's the popular quote? Those that can't do teach. Is that? Those who can do. Those who can't teach. Yeah. And those who can't teach, teach whatever subject you have contempt for. <laughs> <laughs> teach <Okay>. art. <laughs> okay. So he changes that quote. He says, doers that teach do better. Mm -hmm. And like Robert Beverly Hale said, and I mentioned it our first season, a little teaching will help you learn anatomy, but only a little. <laughs> there you go, yeah. <laughs> only a little. Well, Stan, this book, page 217, sums up, I mean, t pages 217 and 18, I wanted to open the book and read some quotes, but I, I know we've been way over time. Yeah, <laughs> we had two hours. Oh, we're at an hour and a half. Okay. Okay. I, re I listen to it. I don't know. Okay. What, what's well, the time anyway, code on that? If, for those of you who want to look it up, on page 218, he talks about a group of students who did better than another group of students that had the same training. Mm -hmm. The only difference is that the students who did better had a secret session that was only 50 minutes long. Secret se was, was it called secret session? I, I, I don't remember, like but they... it was a secret session about how the brain works and this business of myelin and deep practice. Okay. They had 50 minutes of exposure to how talent is developed and it changed their whole attitude. So just knowing the information he teaches is basically what yes! he's saying, will make you better. And so the, reading this book, just by reading the book, not even applying it, will make you better. But that's something <laughs> that I got from you since I first, listen, listen to this, I underlined it in my book. Uh -huh. uh, that it is a changed attitude toward failure, which doesn't feel like a setback or the writing on the wall anymore, but like a path forward. It's a changed attitude that every time I fail, it's like, ah, yeah, I found something. Mm -hmm. And to embrace that with it, it, that changed attitude is the most valuable thing that if you have wanted the sum up of this book, it's that you've got secret knowledge, which is failure as a path forward. I want to add to that though. It's not just about when you stumble, like kind of stumble upon a mistake. Mm -hmm. It's you need to go seeking mistakes. You need to observe and find the mistakes. Don't just like wait till you notice it. I, by making it harder. No, by observing yourself. And then when you get it, when it gets easy? Then, yeah, then you yeah. Make, make more mistakes yeah. on purpose. And <laughs> by making it harder, not by sucking and the creativity in in this is that you decide hey my my soccer field is this big the ball weighs this much yeah. i've got this many players uh-huh what if i was to have fewer players a heavier ball on a smaller court what if i was to have more players so that there's more crowding going on and i've got to navigate that it doesn't what if there's spiders what there's... if we release the bees and <laughs> yeah instead of a soccer ball it's a beehive yeah, the ball is now made out of cement. That we have a sniper up in the stands. <laughs> yes. Really get these people thinking. Yeah. 
<laughs> what if this was really hard? Uh, okay, are we done? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I have um, I have more notes on the Little Book of Talent, which is I mean, th okay. those two books are really good together, but it is a different book. I wish I'd have known that, but yeah. now that I know, you, you didn't know about the, his other book. I didn't know it until just now. I've told you about it. Yeah, I think you might have, but the I, first I time we read this, I said, "Hey, the next book one. after this." And you recommend reading both? Um, I mean, yeah, there. It's the Little Book of Talent is like fifty-two tips on how to practice correctly. <laughs> it's okay. like fifty-two it's a, tips, so it's one yeah. per week for a year. Oh, <laughs> is that? Yeah, that's probably right. Um, he does go into some other things that we didn't talk about in there. Like, I'll just mention a few. Won't go into detail. Like, one of them was related to our um, art parent thing. Mm -hmm. So, he, he talked about picking your role models and he talks about finding pictures of videos of them, watch them and then imagine yourself doing that. You don't have to like, don't do it but Im just imagine yourself doing that exact motion they just did. Pick it apart, create a game plan for yourself how you're going to practice each one of those things. It's kind of what I, when I, when he said that I was like, oh, that's what I did with, um, with Morgan Weisling's videos. I just watched yeah. his DVD over and over again and I just imagined it myself doing that. Yeah. Um, I can be just like my parent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you chose a good parent to be just like. Yeah. Let's see. He talks about patience in this one as well. He talks about eight weeks of patience specifically. Say it again. Eight weeks of patience. It, basically, it takes eight weeks to get good at something. So you have to have patience. Don't expect. Yeah, you get and that's it. based on research. Yeah, but uh, I think the example he used was meditation. That after eight weeks of meditation, they saw changes in the brain. There's something similar with working out to change your body when you're 18, 19. You decide I want I want to get in shape. So if you're looking in yeah, the mirror every day, weeks. you're not going to make any difference. But at two months, yeah, then you start to see some difference. Yeah, yeah. Oh, this one's this is good. Uh, thinking just thinking positively, and this is kind of what he you can totally tell in the way he. He writes, it's very positive, right? Always positive thinking. Um, is instead of thinking like, don't make that mistake, don't make that mistake and doing things out of fear of messing up, you think positively and just say, thinking, I'm going to do this correctly. Yeah, it's just simple. It, it's the positive side mm -hmm. because he's telling you to seek out the negative. Over and over he's telling you, seek out the negative. So that's where you, the sweet spot is where you're going to get Yeah, but it's, you're not seeking out the negative to not make that mistake again, you're seeking out the negative to do it correctly. Right. Your goal is not to not make mistakes. Your goal is to do it right. It's to move through it. Yes. Okay. I mean, there, there's a really big difference there in mindset. Mm -hmm. It seems like it's the it's same not, thing. It's, it's, it's almost like you're saying the same thing in different words, but it's actually very different. It's not to protect yourself. Yeah. It's to move forward. It's a, what uh, Eddie O'Connor talked about that running from a bear and running toward gold may look the same, but they're very different. <laughs> right? I mean, one is, is self-protection. Yeah. One is seeking what you want. Okay. Yeah. 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 The fear versus... What is seeking? What's, en enthusiasm. What's love. Passion. Yeah. There you desire go. to excel. Yeah. yeah. Chasing the good. <laughs> yeah. That's it. Did you have any criticisms of the book? Hmm. Not really. No, I mean, I remember when I read it, I was just full of positivity, Marshall. <laughs> I was full of positivity too, and I liked it better on the second read. I mm. loved the book. I really recommend the book. 
The only thing that, that bugged me a little bit is that the myelin thing started to be, it, it's like every chapter, it's got to throw in the, and this is sponsored by myelin. This is, <laughs> that every, it's like he used that term so many times that even at the end, he took a list of really useful metaphors and said that it all comes down to myelin. It's like you're substituting art for science as if science is a step up. And science is not a step up. Science is a step to the side. But there did seem to be so much rah-rah for, uh, for myelin that I felt like, okay, I was excited about myelin as a measurable thing, but it's hard for me to say, myelin, I'm getting it, I'm getting it. it the more exciting thing is to say that I'm mastering something, which is uh, a metaphor. I'm excelling, I'm, I'm lifting myself up, I'm joining the ranks of, I'm, I'm growing and in, maturing into my parent, all of the other things you could choose. Uh-huh that can get you excited and are more emotional. That was the only criticism okay. of it. And yeah. I, I, but it, it's not a big deal because if yeah. it got in the way, it didn't get in the way, I would read this book again with a group of people who wanted to say, we will make this goal. We are going to be... I think it goes emerge. with one of the 52 tips in the second book where he... I think two of those tips are imagine your neural pathways getting faster <laughs> yeah that's good yeah so that's like you have to know about myelin and how it works in order to like try to imagine it yeah right and then another one i think the other one is like imagine your neural pathways getting more efficient it's like the yeah. same thing but yeah and then compare them to well-worn paths in a jungle even when he gives you 52 tips here's a little extra here's a little extra here's a little extra and that's kind of nice it's like i'll take a tip a week Oh, it's and visualize the wires of your brain forming new connections. Yeah, that's and great. And visualize the wires of your brain getting faster. Even just the so. word wires of your brain. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Then we're done. I think so. What do you want to do next? Uh, you want to try again? You mean this one? Yeah. Yeah. Just do another take. <laughs> sure. Okay. I'll wipe the memory card and we'll yeah. start over. We, well, we got to watch it first. Observe. Yeah. Observe what we did wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Play by play. Yeah. I'm patient. I would do it. If you guys really wanted to do it, I'd be willing to, but I don't think that it's practical. We got to watch it in slow motion though. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. If, if you're willing to, yeah. if you want to say, and after sure. we did this podcast, here's what we decided to do. <laughs> before we, we decided to use the, his advice, slow it down, play it backwards, <laughs> break it up into chunks and make them in a different order. So are we going to do a commentary episode on this podcast? Who would do the commentary? Who would we bring in from the outside? Him. Him. Yeah. So uh, you, you got on my Reviewing our review of his book. Yeah. <laughs> and then we can review his review of our review. Nice. Yeah. That's good content. And like, the, the reviews, it keeps getting worse, right? There's right, no way it gets Mylon better. Mylon is wrapping itself into a... I'm not going to use it. Let's just move on. <laughs> okay. I think we're done. I think so, too. Um, okay, cool. Well... You know, you guys, it's, we love you. <laughs> we love some of you. Some of you, yeah, the, the good ones. It's supposed to be awkward intros, not awkward outros. Mm, I think know. we should change the tradition. We're, we're reversing things. <clears throat> Come in really slick and smooth and cool, and then end with, uh, how, do we, how do we end this? I think we should. You go first. Um, what do you want them to do, Marshall? He wants them to turn off since he's eating an apple. Yeah, and everybody else, everybody wants you to stop eating the apple. Why? 
because Isn't it's that awful sound is horrible if you just if all you're doing is listening to the podcast and you just hear it's a faux pas to eat while recording you know this you made fun of me for doing it like two seasons ago I, oh i see what he's doing he's making it awkward okay yeah you're really good at this <laughs> yeah good job marshall touche <laughs> You've already done it. You don't need to... See ya. Okay. Bye, everybody. That was the worst. That was the worst ending. No, we can't.